0: We have received the first two questions for tonight, so like Pastor said before, you can go ahead and write your question questions on a piece of paper anytime now or later, and you can give those to us if you want to be anonymous or whatever, but we have, we're beginning to get questions. Um, we only had 40 minutes in Sunday school, but I'm told I can take all the time I want now. <laughs> but I, I want, I want. Take advantage of your goodness to me. I want to like the pastor who was invited to preach. An evangelist to preach at a church. And he started with Genesis. Half an hour into it he went into Exodus. Two hours into it he was in in the minor prophets. And the time he was finished. Well before he was finished. Every few minutes he was touching his chin. He had a band-aid on his chin. And so at some point in his message, in his long-winded message, he felt he had to explain what's going on, why he was touching that band-aid. So he said, I'm sorry, this morning while I was shaving, I was thinking of my message and I cut my chin. Okay. After two and a half hours of preaching, he stood at the door and somebody came up to him and said, Pastor, next time you, 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 you shave, think of your chin and cut your message. As you can see, I don't have a (laughs) band-aid. Well, the title of my message today is the following, for those that love to have a title. To be used effectively by God, we have to overcome our biases. Again, to be effectively used by God, we have to overcome our biases. Let's go to Acts, chapter 10, and read the first ten verses of that chapter. I'm using the King James Version because that's the copy I have in the uh, guest apartment. (laughs) There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Cornelius a centurion of the band called the Italian band, so he had a hundred soldiers under him, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house house is by the sea side. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Let me ask you, what is the job of a tanner? Any idea? And what was the position of the Jewish culture from tanners? A tanner was someone who handled dead animals and worked their skin to change their color. That's what we get the word tan. One of the things a tanner did, among others, was change skin color or change their tan and therefore the name tanner. According to the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible, touching or handling dead animals would render the one who touches or handles it ritually impure. You know that. If you don't, read your Bible. This means that such a person cannot enter the temple or be involved in worship. But you might say, didn't the Jewish priests touch and handle sacrifices All day, every day. It's true, they did. The difference, though, is that the priests only handled pure animals that were shredded for the various sacrifices. There was no telling. Nobody could tell if a tanner had touched pure or impure animals, so nobody was going to take a risk and allow a tanner into the temple. As a matter of fact, we know from history that a mother and father would discourage their daughters from marrying a tanner. We also know that a Jewish woman could easily divorce her husband for no other reason than him being a tanner. Moreover, a tanner could not live closer than 85 feet from the edge of any town or city limit. And, if a synagogue, a place of worship, were to be sold for any reason, it could never be used as a tannery. Now, knowing all these details, one wonders, as you read Acts, why is it that Simon Peter would stay at the house of a tanner? It would be, I mean, at least a question mark. He would know, Peter knows the scriptures. Could it be, as some commentators have wrongly suggested, that Simon Peter was putting the whole notion of purity and impurity behind him? Therefore affirming Simon the Tanner in his position as being ritually impure. And most importantly, that purity and impurity ceased to be of importance to Peter himself? The fact is not. But with these questions in mind, let's go back and look more closely at the text. If you look at verses 5 and 6. And now, send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon a Tanner, and whose whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. There are four words that I would like to turn your attention to: Joppa, Simon, Tanner, and sea. These four words appear in those two verses. Now. Since 1979, that's been quite a while, I've been teaching a course called Inductive Bible Study. I still do that to this day. Every time I'm asked to preach or teach, that is what I do. And doing an Inductive Bible Study of this portion of Scripture, these four words jumped up at me. I found them to be strange to appear in two short verses. Joppa, or Jaffa, Simon, Tanner, and C. Now, before we go further, let's read the next few verses. Beginning at verse 7. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up unto the house to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they met ready, he fell into a trance. And so heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, As it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice speak unto him again the second time what god hath cleansed that could not thou come that was done thrice or three times and the vessel was re- received up again to heaven into heaven it is fair to say with that in the background that simon peter had never forsaken his position on the purity and impurity of what he could touch or eat. It's clear. I mean, the Lord had to talk to him directly and give the same message three times. Why three? Two reasons. One, it's important. Two, it's urgent. It's important. There is a certain message you've got to listen. You've got to hear well. And it's urgent. That's why it happens three times. So the Lord is speaking to Peter three times within seconds. What I have rendered clean. Don't look at it as impure. Now, Peter comes from a Jewish background. From a Jewish family. And Peter had issues with the Gentiles. We know that, don't we? From the book of Galatians from Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Peter had issues. He wouldn't eat with the Gentile Christians if the Jews were present, if the Jewish Christians were present, the Messianic Jews. And the Lord knew that. Peter was going to be sent on a mission. What mission? It would be the first time that it Christian from a Jewish background is going to enter a Gentile's home in this case Cornelius would Peter have done that no he wouldn't without that vision Peter wouldn't have gone into that house because it would render him impure so Peter didn't only have a problem with impure animals he had a problem with Gentiles because a Gentile to a Jew was like What? A dog. Maybe a pet dog, but a dog nonetheless. Remember the Canaanite woman? And the story of giving the dogs what's left over of your food? Remember that story, that event, that encounter? Well, to a a Jewish man, it's the same mindset. That's what he knows. That's what he believes in. So it would have been impossible for Peter to go into that house without that intervention from God you say okay what about those four words Joppa and Simon and Tanner and see I'll tell you what number one Joppa go back to the Old Testament Do you can you remember anything that happened in Joppa I can If you have read one specific book, it's called the book of Jonah. Where was Jonah? He was in the same city, in Joppa. Also called Jaffa. J-A-F-F-A. It's the same town. It's now called Tel Aviv. By the seaside. And God called Jonah back then to go where? To Nineveh. To go into Gentile country. And what did Jonah do? He took the ship towards Tarshish. Why would it be? I mean, we have no accidents in Scripture. We don't have accidents. It's not just somebody writing anything that comes to mind. It's not by accident that Peter would be in Joppa, in the same city, and he would receive a similar calling. It's amazing how God does things Sometimes we don't look for. We don't understand. Peter is faced with the same type of mission. As was faced by Jonah. If the decision had been solely to Peter. He would do like Jonah did. Take the boat to Tarshish. In a sense. He wouldn't go into the home of Cornelius. And it happens in John. So my feeling is. That God was speaking to Peter. In that same context, Peter, you're going to have these men coming, and these men will come and invite him to go with them. You're now in this city, what will you do? What will you do? Will you heed God's calling? Again, I believe, were it not for God's direct intervention three times in a row to convince Peter, the Jew, to go. He wouldn't do it. He'd probably fall into the same trap of bias and prejudice that Judas suffered from back then. How about Simon? Well, it's interesting when the angel speaks to Cornelius, he doesn't say to him, send for Peter. He says, send for Simon. And it's no accident that Simon Peter is staying with another Simon. I mean, come on. It's too much to take in. Why was the tenor's name Simon? It could be anything. We have 10,000 names in the Jewish alphabet. Why is it Simon? He would be staying with. Again. It's that old nature The Lord Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. But you know what? In the same way that God transformed your life and my life, we still have the old man lurking inside. That old sinful nature is still within us. Tempting us to disobey, turn our back to God, and do things that don't please him. Simon is still part and parcel of Simon Peter. And he's staying with another Simon. Again, the challenge is Simon Peter, on which name will you act? Will you act on your old nature, Simon? And you have a reminder of it in Simon and Tanner? Or will you act on your new name, Peter? The rock, small rock but truck nonetheless. You say, why, why did God want to use Peter or Simon to go into Cornelius' home to begin with? Because there is a promise. The Lord Jesus promised Simon Peter, unto you I give the keys to the kingdom. Well, some interpret that as being the papacy. So we have a pope in Rome, and it goes on from one to the next. But that doesn't agree with scripture. Who was it that God used on the day of Pentecost? Tell me. Simon Peter. Who was it that went to Samaria and by whose presence God poured on His Holy Spirit? Peter again. And who was God going to use to open the door of heaven to the Gentiles? Simon Peter again. That's what the Lord had promised. And the Lord was going to act on His promise. But to do so, there needed to be transformation. That's why I said my thought is, until we we submit, until we overcome our biases, it's only then that God can effectively use us. God couldn't have used Simon Peter until that transformation began to take place. I mean, it's, it's sad. I, I have to admit to you that in my studies of the book of Acts, and I've spent months studying it, not just weeks, reading it and reading it again and again and again, my conviction is that if the Christian faith was left to Peter, even after this encounter, Christianity would be a Jewish sect today. I thank God every day for Paul. Because God used him in a much more prevalent way than he used Peter, though God used Peter in the beginning to open that door. You know, there's a group of people called the Ebionites. You may have never heard of them, but you can look them up on the internet. Back in the days when Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, started his religion in 610 A.D., 14 centuries ago, there were churches in Saudi Arabia, cultic churches, Ebionite churches. Ebionite is spelled E-B-I-O-N-I-T-E. E-B-I-O-N-I-T, Ebionite. And the person that discipled Muhammad was an Ebionite bishop in Mecca, in the city of Mecca, which is the holy of holies for the Muslims today. And if you were to look up the Ebunite, uh website today, because they still exist, they have the worst things to say, not about Peter, about Paul. Because they believe that Jesus did not come to establish a new faith Christianity, that Jesus came to bring revival to the Jewish faith. And it's only because of Paul that Christianity was started. That's what the Ebionites believe. And my conviction is, were the Christian faith left to Peter, that may have well been the case. What I'm trying to say is, God may have transformed your life and mine, but he is not finished yet. We still have biases today, you and I, and God still is working in us. To overcome those biases and begin to be used more effectively for him ok what about the word tanner that's our third word like I said a tanner is one that not just handled that animals and skin but his main job was to change the color of that animal skin and Simon the host is a tanner not just ritually impure but also, he he doesn't look at skin color anymore. And my sense is that, that there was a message for Peter, to Peter, living in that tanner's house. As he would watch him, we don't know, we have no idea how long Peter stayed at the tanner's house. A day, a week, a month, we have no idea. I, I couldn't tell, I read through it, read through it, I, I don't know. But I have a feeling the tanner didn't just sit, sit around and chat with Peter all, all day long, every day. And I'm guessing that Peter must have watched the tanner do his work. Take a skin color and change it. And change it again. And change it a third time. All the while, those biases in Peter's mind are working in his brain. And he goes up to the roof. And God is speaking to him. And as he, a result, he's looking at the tanner and thinking... Could it be that God wants me to be like Him? Excuse the term, colorblind. Is that anathema here? See, we're not colorblind. We're not colorblind. You say God is colorblind? In a sense, I have to say, yes, He is. Because He loves everyone black, red, white, doesn't matter. We grow up with biases. That's a problem. I mean, it's, it's ingrained in us. We take it with our mom's milk, culture, media, whatever, our town. We're influenced by it. And God's saying, I want to use you. But you've got to become colorblind. Yeah. I was attending university in Israel. This is Old Testament history. I'm 67 now, so it's quite a few years ago. And I was going for a major in psychology. And I remember, I have no idea why today, but one of the textbooks in psychology back then had different colors, shapes, triangles, squares, circles, and so on. And the professor asked us to define... Every color we had in those shapes. And I looked at those shapes, and I said, we've got X, Y, and Z. That's the colors I see. I was the only one in class who couldn't see red on green. And I still cannot see red on green to this day. You may have a beautiful apple tree, green, with red apples. If I don't touch the apple, I don't see it from a distance. Now you say, how do you drive? They're not mixed. I can see the green and I can see the red. But if you put red on green, I won't see it. I'm colorblind, partial colorblind. And that's a blessing. And that's a blessing in a spiritual sense. God has used that to make me colorblind to other people, to other nations, where you, you can begin to love somebody who is different than you, Tanner. And then the word see. You probably know that sea, in a Jewish context, refers to the Gentile world. The sea, in a Jewish context, refers to the Gentile world, not to Israel. And it so happens, by accident, I mean it's, it's a strange accident, that this man's house would be by the sea. next to the Gentile world, the, That's the mindset, that's the perspective, that's the notion they have. The invitation comes. It's as if God, it's not as if, God had prepared all the elements for Peter to be able to do, to go on that mission. Staying at that house. And yet, were it not for that direct intervention, Peter wouldn't have done it. I don't know how many of you have purchased my book, my first book. My enemy, my brother. Maybe a few. Maybe fewer have read it. I was born to a Christian family. My dad passed away three years ago. At the very old age of 119. I didn't hear anybody gasp. You can do it now, it's okay. And people ask me, was he a Christian? I led him to the Lord when he was 75 years of age. But he was born into a Christian family. He was a Greek Orthodox. My mother was Anglican. She had, her family had converted to Anglicanism centuries before. Now if everybody on my dad's side lived to be as old as he was, it only takes 20 generations or so and i would be back to St. Paul. <laughs> Except we don't have that type of family tree. We can trace our family back three, four, five generations and we know every single one of them was a Christian, at least by name. But when I was born, six, seven years ago, my mother was sick. She was diagnosed with cancer. And soon after she died. Well, time went by. I lived in Israel, in Jerusalem, Palestine, Israel. Knew I didn't have a mother. Was living in an orphanage until I turned almost 13. Went back to my dad's house apartment. It's a one-room apartment. And uh, finished my education in French and English. And received a scholarship from a Catholic university in Chicago, Loyola University, because I was attending a French Catholic school, and I was brought up Catholic, though my dad was Greek Orthodox. Finishing first in at school, I got a scholarship to come to the U.S. to study engineering. I was taught in math and sciences, and I was getting ready to come to the States. I had. Come to know the Savior two years before. So at 18, 18 plus, I went to my grandfather's, grandparents' house. My mom had one sister who was living. She she was the only sister anyway. And I went to say farewell because I was coming to the U.S. And I went in to visit my aunt's house. I go into her house. And two minutes into it, well, she had a courtyard and a metal gate to her courtyard. So I, she sat me in her living room and somebody was knocking on her metal gate outside. So she walks back out, opens the gate, and come in a Muslim veiled woman. I'm 18. This woman comes into the living room. I stand up, barely shake her hand, sit down. And my aunt, turns away to get something cold to give to us halfway to her kitchen she turns around facing us and she turns to me and she says beloved Hannah do you know this woman I didn't quite answer her the way I should have I barely knew her because I lived in an orphanage the, you know, 13 years I didn't I knew her because I had visited her before. So I said, no aunt, I, I've never seen her. And my aunt then turns to this woman, this Muslim veiled woman. And she asks her, do you know this young man? And the woman says, no, I've never met him. How would she? And then my aunt says, well, I have a surprise for you too. My aunt did not plan it. She didn't know I was going to see her that day, that afternoon. She lives in Samaria, which is an hour and a half away from Jerusalem. She turned to us and she said, well, I have a surprise for you too. And she said, Hannah, you know that your mother was sick with cancer when you were born. I said, yeah, that much I know. She said, well, she couldn't breastfeed you. They didn't give bottles at the time. She said, we had to look for somebody to breastfeed you, to keep you alive. And this is the woman that did it for you. Here was a Muslim woman who had kept me alive. I've been in Muslim ministry since 1971. Forty-three years. Repaying my debt to the Muslims god used that dramatic it was an emotional moment for this woman and for me she came over she hugged me she showered me with kisses and with tears it's like she had a son that she never knew and it's like i had a mother i had never known either but i felt indebtedness i never came to the states I finished my education in psychology and philosophy, went to Lebanon, studied theology, and 1971, started my ministry in Christian radio, preaching and teaching the Muslims. It does not have to be an emotional, dramatic encounter like that to change, to transform, to overcome our biases. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to be by the seaside, staying at Simon the Tanner's house. We don't have to have God talk to us through a vision of pure and impure animals. We have His Word. And that should be enough by the power of the Holy Spirit to continue to transform our lives and make us colorblind for God to use us, to effectively use us we've got to overcome our biases I don't know what your biases are I don't want to know but we each have some it may be skin color it may be different faith it may be different gender it may be age it may be something else I don't know I know what my biases have been and are And I've got to struggle with them and make sure. I mean, every time I watch TV and I see what's going on, what ISIL, what the Muslims are doing. My wife says to me, why do you want to go? You've done it 43 years, enough. And before I go, every time she kisses, she says, it may be our last kiss. I don't know every time I go to Iraq or some of these nations. I don't know. It takes God's power to transform To place that love, maybe like I said earlier, through the eyes of a child. But may God continue to work in you and in me. That we may be a little more like Him. That we may may be used in a more effective way as He has plans for our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to confess our shortcomings. We come to confess our sins before you. We know we have failed you before, not one time, not two times, but many times. We pray, Lord, I plead, I beseech you, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Use your word to continue to transform us, to change us in the likeness of Jesus. Pour out your love afresh in our hearts. For others, not just who are like us, but especially those that are unlike us. Those that may not be humanly lovable, but we know that you have loved And you've given yourself to save. Help us. Transform us. Forgive us. And continue to work in us by your Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen.